Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Remember what happened back in 9 11? What happened the weekend after 9-11 in our churches in this world? What happened? You couldn't get in anywhere. Why? People woke up. Where are they today? They're apathetic. How about you this morning? You indifferent to the things of God? Could we be indifferent to God changing people's lives in front of us? By the way, you know, when one person comes to Christ, are the angels indifferent? Following the attack on the World Trade Center on 9-11, people flooded to churches. Churches all over the country were filled to overflowing. What happened? In today's message, Pastor Mark tells us that people have become apathetic to the things of God today. Sadly, some people have become apathetic about people coming to Christ. Is such a thing even possible? Can we become numb to the life-changing work of God in a person's life? Sadly, it seems so, but Pastor Mark reminds us that when someone accepts Christ, the angels are anything but apathetic. They are rejoicing, and so should we. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark with his continuing study entitled, Opportunity Brings Accountability. We have to be very careful. We have some people in the kingdom of God that think that means, well, we have to be physically forceful. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. A few years ago on September 11th, we were reminded that there is a world religion that wants to take this world by force. You see, the Quran. If you go to the Quran, the Quran says you and I as Christians are infidels and we must be eliminated. It's true. Now, not every Muslim believes that by any means because they don't believe in it. They'll say they believe in the Quran, but they don't read it. They, just like many people that you go and say, well, do you believe in the Bible? Oh, yeah, I believe in that. They don't have a thing to do with the Bible. So many Muslims don't believe that, but there is an element that is trying to destroy us. And they will not stop until they've acquired their goal of forcing everyone to worship Allah. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not going to talk about a physical force. So if I have this outside force against me, because I'm a Christian and against this church and anything, if I always have this force against me, what should I do? Well, that's the second part of this. First, I have to remember there's always spiritual warfare right here. The second part is simply this. To be a successful Christian, we must understand that every Christian understands this reality and get involved. Well, how do I get involved? If I'm not going to take a gun up and just try to kill everybody that's against me, how do I get involved? Keep your finger right there. Turn back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 
Here's what I want you to write as you're turning there. Life is not a playground, but a battlefield. Why did Jesus say earlier, don't fall away because of me? How many people used to serve God, but they've fallen away? Hey, just there's no interest anymore. Used to believe in the Bible, read the Bible, taught the Bible. They're gone. They're not here. They're not around. What happened? They forgot there was a warfare. They didn't understand that there's a battle. By the way, if you're married, do you have to fight for your marriage? How long do you have to fight for your marriage? If you've been married 50 years, do you have to still fight for your marriage? Absolutely. You have to fight for your marriage until you die. Why? Because Satan's out against it. I always have to fight. It never stops. Ever. Now in 2 Timothy, we read an incredible principle. Actually, in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, you got to fight the good fight. What do, you, what do you mean, fight the good fight? What does that mean? Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says this to Timothy. Endure, here's a word, those of you that are in the Marines, hardship. With us, like a, circle these words in your Bible, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, I'm, I'm not a soldier of the United States Army or Navy, Marines, whatever. That's good. That's, that's wonderful. And we need to pray for them. But if you're a Christian, you're a soldier. This morning, you're a soldier in the army of God. And he says this in verse 4. No one serving as a, a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. Well, who is our commanding officer? It's not me, it's Jesus. So what does that mean? As a Christian, we're soldiers. Paul says, remember, we live in this world. So God isn't taking us out of this world. We're fighting the battle here. And and you and I... Well, we're going to raise our children, we're going to go to school, we're going to get educated, we're going to get advanced in jobs, we're going to have a house and an apartment and a car and a condo, and we're going to do all those things and enjoy lunch together and have a golf game once in a while or a sport or something. That's wonderful. All those things are good. But they can never be the primary thing. You see, if I get tangled up with all of this stuff, I'm going to lose the battle. Oh, the kids got a ball game set, and they got this over here, and they got, over here, and they, they got tangled up. In the things of this world. So Paul says, hey, we're soldiers. We're soldiers. Now what does that mean? Well, opportunity brings accountability. You're a soldier. How are you doing in the battle? Some of you are doing terrific. Good job. You're fighting the good fight of faith. By the way, some of you say, I didn't know I was in an army or a soldier. Well, here's a statement I want you to write. It's going to take you a little time to write it, but I want you to write it. Advancing the kingdom, that's what an army does. Advancing the kingdom requires, number one, fervency in prayer. The weapon we have is prayer. How's the church worldwide doing with this? Very poorly, as a whole. And I speak to myself included. Why? Because it's not a big deal to us. Advancing the kingdom requires fervency and prayer. A bold faith. Determination. A bold faith. Some of you say, you mean I've got to be bold for Jesus Christ? Yes. <laughs> Some of you say, well, I'm in the secret service of Jesus. I'm an undercover agent. 
There are no undercover agents. Let me say something else. There are no part-time soldiers. There are no per diem soldiers. There has to be a fervency in prayer, bold faith, determination, and full reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Probably 60% of you are weary and you're failing. So many of us are, with all of our luggage, with everything, we're just walking by the side in our own strength. The majority of the church today is trying to live the Christian life in their own power. Impossible. How are you doing as a soldier? Never, ever designed to do it in our own strength. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, even getting into the army of God takes boldness. If you'd like to become a Christian, you have to say, I want to become a Christian. You know, as you do that, there's a battle going on. As you, as you get ready to do that, there's a battle going on. You know who's speaking to you? Satan's saying this to you. Mm, another day. Your people around you are going to wonder, hmm. And then after you take the step and become a Christian, does the battle end? No, wait till you go into work and they say, you say, well, you know, I became a Christian today. You did what? And your relatives, your spouse, what? The battle is just beginning. But see, we're not to be spiritual wimps. That's what much of what the church is. You know what? Let me just say this. You won't find too many spiritual wimps in Al-Qaeda. But the church? Nah. I understand what I'm saying. We're not to go out and kill people. But we need to be bold for Jesus Christ. That's what he said. Back to 13, Matthew 11. Jesus says this in verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Obviously, John the Baptist was not a resurrected Elijah, but it was predicted in the Old Testament that with this Elijah would come and introduce Jesus. Well, what happened is that John the Baptist took on Elijah's prophetic role. He had the same spirit. He had the same power as Elijah as he boldly confronted sin and, and uh, prepared people and pointed them to God. But you know what? Elijah is amazing because there's so much uh, similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist. Elijah was the one also who had a huge problem with discouragement, as John the Baptist did. Then in verse 16 through 19, it's an interesting thing. Jesus talks about a generation of people, and he, he's, he actually talks to us, and he's going to say this. Not your children, but your childish. Listen to these verses. Jesus says to the people sitting there listening to him, To what can I compare this generation? Or what can I compare you guys? You're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge. You did not mourn. In other words, there was a funeral. And you want to be part of that funeral. You play this music. If there was a wedding, you do this. You don't want to get involved in either one of them. You're constantly complaining. And he says, now look at John, and look at me. John came, he didn't eat or drink like you think he did. He ate locusts and honey and whatever. And he was an austere man. He was, he was a wonderful man for God. He did what God wanted. And you saw John, and what do you say about John? You complain, said he's got a devil. So then here I am, Jesus says. I came, I didn't live in the desert like that. I, in fact, I kind of lived normal life like you. I came eating and drinking. But what do you say to me? Man, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What is Jesus saying? He says to the people this, and this is very important. He says, you're fickle. You heard John the Baptist who spoke truth. You heard me who spoke truth. And you had incredible opportunities to become part of this kingdom. 
but nothing pleased you. You're just always critical. You're always negative. Nothing ever was good enough to make you happy. The last part of this verse, notice he says, but wisdom is proved right by our actions. What Jesus is saying is, if you wouldn't have been so cynical and so skeptical and so self-centered, if you'd have been wise, you'd have picked what John the Baptist said as truth, and you would be in the kingdom of God this morning. Here's a statement I want you to write. A negative person will always find something to criticize, and they'll never be happy. Do you know what? Until you come to Christ, you'll never be happy. Something will always be wrong. Too short, too long, too tall, too whatever. doesn't matter. It, something will always be wrong. And when you come to Christ, there is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a negative, critical Christian. That's not the character of God. Verse 20, this is powerful. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Circle this in your Bible. Because they did not repent. What's Jesus talking about? I'm going to read to you some cities. In these cities, he and his disciples preached and ministered and healed. All kinds of incredible miracles are done. People's lives were changed any, everywhere in these cities. But the cities, they had incredible opportunities to go, wow. But they were indifferent. It was no big deal to them. Let's read. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment. What's he mean? Well, these two cities in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets came against and condemned these two cities because they were arrogant, self-sufficient worshipers of Baal. Jesus said, if Tyre and Sidon were here today and I did my miracles in those cities, they would have repented. They would have said, this is the Messiah. They would have put on sackcloth and ashes. But you, these two cities, Chorazim and Bethsaida, you didn't do that. He says, so I judge you. Now he's not judging the city, he's judging the people. And he's going to say to these cities, you'll be no more. Nothing will be on those pieces of property. Now why did these... These two cities specifically, Bethsaida and Chorazim, did they go to try to kill Jesus? No. They just saw a miracle and it just went like this. Cool. You know, it might be around, if they had Starbucks, no, they sit at Starbucks and say, you know, what did Jesus do yesterday? Oh, he, he healed this guy that was a leper. Really? That's cool. And Thursday morning, they'd be meeting again. Hey, anything happened yesterday? Yeah, Jesus has tax collector named Matthew or whatever. I mean, he gave up all the money and followed him. Oh, that's cool. So they weren't against... They were just indifferent, apathetic. You remember what happened back in 9-11? What happened the weekend after 9-11 in our churches in this world? What happened? You couldn't get in anywhere. Why? People woke up. Where are they today? They're apathetic. How about you this morning? You indifferent to the things of God? Could we be indifferent to God changing people's lives in front of us? By the way, you know, when one person comes to Christ, are the angels indifferent? No, the Bible says that they, uh, <laughs> they rejoice in heaven, don't they? We have to be very careful we don't become indifferent to change lives. I'm very serious. 
Verse 23. And you, Capernaum. Now, what was Capernaum? Capernaum was the headquarters for Jesus. He did more of his miracles, did more of his things in that city than anything else. Talk about privilege. Talk about opportunity. This is the headquarters of Jesus. Look what he says. And you, Capernaum, again, talking about the people, not the city. Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, see, Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't mean much to us. I mean, we know the story that the, the city was destroyed. By the way, why was the Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? What was the prevailing sin in Sodom and Gomorrah? Homosexuality. You need to listen up. We love people who are sinners, but God hates sin. So God went and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because they wouldn't repent. Now, how would you like your city Compare it against Sodom and Gomorrah, and you come out last. That's what Jesus says. He says, Capernaum, if I was alive when Sodom and Gomorrah was a city, and I went to them and did the very miracles, changed lives in that city, there'd still be a city you could visit today called Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have repented. So that's a credible slap in the face to these people. What? He said, you... You're not interested in the things of God. I mean, you've seen things and been privileged and had incredible opportunities that nobody else ever has been, had a chance to see. It brings great responsibility. But you've blown it. There's going to be greater judgment for you than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, not talking about the cities, but the people. Here's something you need to write, and it's, it's pretty uh, challenging. Greater opportunity brings greater accountability and greater judgment and greater judgment. You know, when we go to Israel, we see proof of God's word. In Jesus' time, there were four main cities in Galilee that were popular. Chorazim, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Tiberias. Capernaum? There's no people that live there. Because Jesus said, cursed are you. This is 2,000 years later. There's no people that live there. It's just not a city anymore. But Jesus didn't curse Tiberias. It's filled with life. What does that tell me? Jesus said, cursed are you three. He never said a thing to this city. And those cities are nothing today. That tells me that the word of God is true. Now you say, Pastor Mark, I'm going to go over there and I'm, I'm going to get a building permit and I'm going to build something there in Capernaum. You better have fire insurance for yourself, baby. Because he'll rain down. He'll, what, you think God would stop it? He'll stop it. Greater opportunity brings greater responsibility, brings greater judgment if I fail. I want to ask you to turn this morning because of time. Just write this down. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6. Let me give you an illustration of what happened. You're in an army today. What responsibility do you have to any of this? Huge. In the Great Commission, God told us to be salt and light and go to all the world. We have incredible opportunity. You do as a Christian. Comes with responsibility and comes with judgment if we fail. In Ezekiel 33, let me just talk to you. I'll give you about one minute summary. 
Ezekiel was to be a warner, a speaker, a prophet. Let me give you an illustration like that. I'm going to be Ezekiel this morning. There's some terrorists that are getting ready to come in and kill us. But we have an army. We have people with uh, guns. And we knew and we're in that kind of time, maybe during the end times, where we have to kind of protect ourselves and our families. So we're loaded. And I come and I've been warned, well, these guys are coming. They're in the parking lot. They're getting ready to come from all angles. And they're going to just open fire on everybody. And I go, hey, we're having a great day, and I don't believe that stuff's happening, and it doesn't involve me, and let's just go on with the kind of things we've been doing. We just go through normal lives, and, and I say nothing to you, and these guys break in and kill you. In Ezekiel 33, God says to Ezekiel, if you didn't warn the people, then the blood is on your hands. Ezekiel, you're responsible. You had an incredible opportunity, but you shut your mouth. Then it says, well... The opposite. If they come, and I know they're coming, and I say to you, okay, guys, now in a few moments, we're going to have to protect ourselves. We're going to pray. God's going to be with us. We're going to take our guns. We're going to get ready. These people are coming in. We're going to just have to protect our families. Get ready. And I warn you, and I tell you of the incredible impending doom coming. And 75, if you get it, the rest of you just go, hey, cool. And they come, and you're killed. The blood is on whose hands now? Yours. Put yourself up here this morning. Never forget this illustration. You are Ezekiel in your community. You are Ezekiel at your workplace. You are Ezekiel in your home. And Romans 14 says, How will the people hear if a messenger doesn't go? Many of you are doing awesome job. Some of you are in the secret service. And the souls of your neighbors and friends and relatives are on your heads. Pastor Mark, I I don't want that responsibility. Then you should have never joined the army of God. Because you are responsible the day you join. Matthew 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We don't get it. Hamas gets it. Al-Qaeda gets it in a wrong way. The Christian church, by and large, we're wimps. Or we do it in our own strength. You can't. That's why he said to his disciples, be filled with the power of God. God, help me in your strength to use my gifts to change my community. For Jesus Christ. It's time to stop playing church. Time is short. People's lives are at stake. You can do it. That's what you were designed to do. We can do it together. How can Christians be indifferent to the gospel or to the things of God? If we're not careful, it can happen. How do you respond when you hear that someone has come to Christ? In today's message, Pastor Mark challenged us to not be apathetic about the gospel and those who desperately need to hear it. We're accountable for the tremendous opportunity we've been given. We're all called to share the truth with others. So, are you sharing his truth? Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Mark will continue to go through this series in the next edition of Lessons for Living. To add today's message to your study library, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. 
The cost for each CD is $5 and that includes shipping. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. Well, Jesus has an invitation for us, an opportunity if we will take it. Jesus invites us to be yoked together with Him. What a tremendous opportunity to learn from the Savior Himself. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark tells us of Jesus' call to discipleship, a call that extends to all of us, first to salvation, and then to walk with Him and become a learner of Him. Who are you yoked to? Tune in and be challenged to be yoked to Jesus. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. In a hurry